You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. This is The Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. Good morning. You know, I like to press that button on you when you don't expect it. I like to see if I'm going to catch you in any sort of organic conversation. But you always see that light turn on and I never get you saying. I never see it on. Yeah, you do. Well, you see it says recording now, right? Okay, yeah. But usually you tell me beforehand. Yeah. Well, you didn't give us anything but a chuckle, but I'll take a chuckle. (laughs) (laughs) You got a um, you got a pretty new shoe over your left shoulder. Yeah, you should tell the people about this. You should tell the people about this find you had and direct them to it. Honestly, yeah, Running Warehouse right now, who we have no affiliation with, has a deal going on the Saucony Endorphin Pro, the original model. They have an abundance of leftover shoes. They're trying to get rid of them, so it's down to one. It's down to ninety nine dollars in some colors, but the sizes are limited. It's down to one hundred and thirty nine dollars in two colors, and you get a fifty dollar gift certificate for it. And usually that's a two hundred dollar shoe down to one thirty nine plus a fifty dollar gift card, which brings you to like eighty five bucks. Yeah, and to me, this is my most what I would call accessible true super shoe. Like the Carbon X is very accessible, but it doesn't have super foam. This has incredible foam, a very good plate, and it has what they call their speed roll technology, which is a rocker plus the plate. It just transitions you to your forefoot really efficiently. And it works well for me. I can do almost any pace at it on this shoe. So I have one pair already. I'm going to need a new pair eventually. So I decided to get it now plus the $50 off gift certificate for my next trail racing or training shoe. It was just a no brainer for me. So I sent it out to a few athletes who I know use this, but I guess now the cat's out of the bag. Anyone who wants the endorphin pro $50 gift certificate gets attached to it. And really the two has come out and the plus has come out, but the only thing that has changed is the upper, the heel lockdowns got slightly better and the weight has reduced slightly, but in terms of the actual ride of the shoe and the foam and the plate where the magic is, nothing has changed. Same outsole, same everything. So it's, mm-hmm. you're getting the same technology, just a slightly like a half, like, I don't know, half ounce heavier upper, maybe not even a half ounce. Details. Details. What I like about running warehouse is they send you like a free return shipping label. So like if you try something and one don't like it or two, it doesn't fit. I don't know how people or companies don't all do this because running shoes are a particular thing with their fit and their feel running warehouse. You just send it back for free. No questions asked. It's fantastic. So I think like you're really getting a $200 shoe for half the cost when you consider the gift card. Yeah. And if you've been thinking about dipping your toes in the super shoe waters, I would say like jump on this. It's a road shoe, by the way, for those of you who don't know. So it's not a trail shoe, but, and you bought this like pretty sort of, girlish turquoise and i'm wondering why you were drawn to that drawn to that color because there were others i would say that's the most feminine color on the men's line i'm probably the most feminine man you know that's not true that's true that's not true (laughs) i like pretty shoes yeah and you i could wear a, a dull shoe but i like something that that pops plus i like racing in black shorts and half of my singlets are white and half of my singlets are black 
So if I'm black on black or white on black, having black shoes on the bottom is just kind of monochromatic. So something that pops on the bottom makes it more makes it more visually appealing to wear black on black on top. Well, I'm looking at your shoe wall and I'm noticing a trend towards like the lighter coloring. Maybe it's coincidence in the offerings, but your mm-hmm. recent shoe purchases um, all seem to realm in that like Eastery sort of color scheme. To be fair, of the what the four super shoes you can see, yeah, I didn't buy three of them. They were gifts. So those those three were sent. I didn't have a say in color, although it's the color I would have chose. Okay, but yeah, I, I think shoes are trending to a a uh, a more visually appealing palette right now, rather than just a what uh, an industrial look. Yeah, I would say. Mm-hmm. How come my friends don't send me super shoes? as gifts for free you probably get other things sent to you (laughs) i talk about shoes a lot maybe that's it maybe that's it and and that's that's an easy thing like what do you get someone for a gift a shoe from me super easy gift certificate for a running warehouse or a shoe people know that i will absolutely use it yeah i'm thinking of pulling the trigger on those endorphin pros as well even though i have more shoes than i need in fact i still think i have more than you but can't pass up a good deal when you see one no you can't um, since we're in a little bit of a time crunch today, uh, do you want to just jump into the topic? Yeah, I do. Okay. This week marked off season week for the running public training plan on training peaks. And why is that? Because the current plan we have on there is for, it follows the OCR season in particular, it followed the flow of the U S national series, which is now over. The final race was Saturday, Sunday in big bear which is complete season done. Not, yeah, the, there are still some races happening. There are still some stadiums. The world championship for Spartan still has yet to happen, but that's not until December. And the first race is in February. There's not enough time for an off season then. So we're taking it now when it makes the most sense f- to us. And it just got us thinking that we've talked off season, we've talked base building, but now is the time where we talked about fertile grounds, right? Now is the time where you can work on things without ramifications. We just finished our probably most controversial topic we've done, which is losing weight as an athlete. And you talk that it can't be focused on in season. It has to be focused on out of season, ideally off season. And that just got the wheels turning that what are these things that are best focused on off season? How do you make the best use of your off season? Yeah. Building base is great, but that's just kind of like a a general term and a general concept. What? How do you approach your offseason to get the absolute most out of it so that the, when the next season comes back around, people bump into you on course and go, whoa, like you're different than I saw last year. We all want to be that person who comes back an improved model of ourself. So how do we do that? Yeah. And I would like to just emphasize the fact that for a lot of people, it may seem early to be taking this break. It's mid-October it's the best time of year to run objectively. I won't even budge on that. And yet you're like taking seven to 10 days off of running when you want to be out there. But if you are following the scheme of the OCR season, now is the time. Like pushing it off doesn't make a lot of sense unless you have races on your calendar. It makes the most sense to just bite the bullet. I know taking rest is harder than training for people. It really is. But yeah. um ripping the bandaid off and doing it now makes sense because 
let's be honest, there's really no off season or racing season. If you're an OCR athlete, it is a year round sport at this point, which is unfortunate, but um, you need to cut your losses now and just like do it. Because really, if you're looking at base training and the things that you want to get accomplished for next season, what does that really leave you if you're looking to open in February? That leaves you November, December, and January, the 12 weeks we talked about in base phase. So it has to start now. So start that process instead of putting it off. So yep. that's like kind of the, the principle of why this whole conversation came to be is uh, now is sort of the time if you're an OCR athlete. And if you're a trail athlete or a road athlete, I understand you still have some races that big races that can be going on through the end of November. Um, and this may not apply to you, but it will at some point in your season too. So just remember this one, I guess, for future use. And, you know, I even think that this applies to the road and trail athlete because most big trail races and marathons are done. Once the leaves start dropping and temperature stops dropping, at least in the Midwest and the North on the coast, the trails stop having as many trail races. Because terrain just gets a little trickier. And a lot of places are getting ready to start creating snow and grooming it for skiing. So the big trail races are generally done. We've already seen our major marathons of the the fall finish up too. There's a few remaining. But outside of a turkey trot in November or outside of living in the south, for example, there's a buddy of mine, Ben, who I, I work with. He lives in Louisiana. The racing season is just cranking up right now because the temperature is finally tolerable that you can safely host events. But outside of the South and turkey trots, this is the most ideal time, I think, for most people because fall and winter are fantastic base building times. The weather is so beautiful for running and it's more enjoyable than summer. And so it's just conducive to big volume. So I like to take it now. And I'm also not a two, three week off kind of person. I know a lot of people like that, but I just don't think the vast majority of us respond well or need that. I think seven days, mm -hmm. 10 days is absolutely plenty for most people, especially once we start talking about how we build out our base building in the off season, because we combine a strength component. Running volume doesn't usually start high anyway. So that's yeah. my, my spiel. No, I like your spiel. Um, and I know we've been kind of pounding this a lot lately, I feel like in a, in a way, but it's fitting and that's why we are. And we'll probably drop it after this week. But I think there's like a few boxes to check that we haven't dove into as far as like the things to do in base building in the off season, uh, things to focus on that we haven't touched on yet. And I just want to say like, you know, maybe we'll have differing opinions on this, but you know, I really like the nine or 10 days off Mark um, mostly because, you know, science tells us no matter the stimulus, it takes like nine to 10 days for your body to physiologically adapt to exercise. It also takes your body nine to 10 days to physiologically adapt to recovery. It's the flip side of the coin. Um, our bodies typically don't fully go through that uh, metabolic process in a week. So, but, but science tells us roughly a week and a half. So what I like is that 10 days because sure that principle applies for uh, like reacting to training stimulus. But it also is the flip side of the coin where it takes that time to react to non-training slash recovery stimulus. So, you know, just going off of that principle, which is you got to hold on to something if you're making decisions like this. I hold on to that one. And that extra three days seems like an eternity and you're itchy to run for the last four days of the whole thing. That's kind of the point, right? So, again, I know you like maybe a little less time, but I just base it off of that. 
So everybody likes a nice clean week, which I get, but I kind of look at week one as an off week. And then week two is a transitional week where maybe you get two runs in and then you jump into that full week. But that's just personal bias and for my life experience and things like that. No, I, I, I agree with you. And I, I balance that probably 14 days might be best, 12 days, 14 days, but we are such creatures of habit that I don't want to create a negative habit. Sure. And so I script a full week off for the vast majority of people, active recovery, mobility work. That's it. Go for walks or hikes. But that second week is still really an off week, but I start scripting things. So the pattern gets reestablished, but we're not really running. Like you said, it's kind of an intro week. So I think that's the best way to hedge your bets to ensure you get the recovery, but also ensure that you only stay away from training for a week. You're back to training, but you're not working yet. So I I think we're on the same page with that. Yeah, I think so too. So where I like to start, Kirk, is I like to go back to the things that we've drilled all year round, which one of the main ones is you must write race recaps and make your list of pros and cons and weaknesses and strengths after races. This is the time you have a week off. This is your time to pour back through your log and see what are my common threads? What do I keep wishing I were better at? What do I keep struggling on? And that becomes the emphasis of my off season. It doesn't mean if I'm lacking foot speed, I'm going to go out and hammer VO2 max intervals all off season, but it means I'm going to address the skill component of my weaknesses so that when base building ends, I can transition into purposeful work, but the groundwork has already been laid so that I can accept that work without running the risk of form breakdown, mechanical deficiencies, injury, or burnout. And that's exactly where I start with everyone is where do I need to improve to come back version 2.0 of myself? Okay. And well, let's dive into that more. Let's say you make your lists of pros and cons and race recaps, and you find out that any fast, flat race, uh, and again, an OCR fast is very subjective because everything flat is still a mud fest usually. But let's say you you comb through and you say, you know what? I was this many more percents behind the winner in these races, or these were my worst finishes of the year. Let's say you have that. Then how do you, or let's say your weakness is climbing or you failed a shitload of obstacles. Like how do you apply that to base building then? You're pulling something up on your phone. Yeah, I'm pulling up my plan in my notes. Okay, so Bracken is um, a student of his own advice, which is good. I say we build this this little example around me. You know what? Let's make it about you, Bracken. I think I'm a good representative of the running public right now. I'm lacking aerobic capacity, which most people are. My foot speed has eroded through inactivity, which most people say... I just am not fast enough on the fast courses. My climbing's a little bit reduced. My grip strength isn't fantastic. I just feel like I've lost a lot of the pieces. And so I represent a large percentage of who we'd be talking to right now. So let, let's just use me as an example here. Okay. All right. Weaknesses, Kirk. What do you know? Okay. Flat ground running speed. Yeah. Stay power. Flat stay ground power. Speed. Yeah. Overall capacity and ability to use functional strength while I'm compromised. So your first example was speed. I need to improve my speed, not necessarily my ability to run 100 meters fast or one mile fast, but I think that component's necessary to be able to run 
10 miles fast. So what am I doing this offseason? The priority of my offseason, I've already talked about on here, is to hit a massive base build. Really spend time doing it. So I am prioritizing the skill of running fast throughout this. Okay. Now some would say, some yeah. would say that statement is contradictory fundamentally. That you're going to focus on running fast in the off season of base phase training, but it's not in your sense. So I want, I'm glad you're explaining that, but like, if you just took that snippet of this conversation, somebody would be like, well, that makes no sense. Yeah. So like, explaining that specifically is important. All right. So here's how my week is set up for the next, I don't know, at least 11 more weeks. Wednesday or Tuesday or Wednesday, depending on the week, I am running a medium long hill workout. Okay. I'm not allowed to exceed my lactate threshold on those days. I stay at or below it on the climbs and I flow the downs. And on the flats, I just stay easy. So it's still not a quality day. It would be considered semi-quality. I approach some threshold work on the ups and nothing else touches it. So that, that workout's about 90 minutes right now long. On Saturday, I'm going long, alternating between long hill work like I did this weekend, two and a half hours of ski hill loops and what I would consider high rocks running, doing running or power hiking on the treadmill in between lunges and thrusters or burpee broad jumps, things that just allow me to extend my time on feet without having to run for two, two and a half hours. So to interrupt, so this is an every other week plan, week one, uh, up and down, nice steady work, basically touching threshold or below recovering somewhat on the downs and then a, a compromised long run as we would talk where you're keeping things aerobic, but you're breaking it up with strength movements, yeah. still accumulating the same amount of time. So that is your plan. Got it. And the other long run is truly a long hill day. Yep. No point do I exceed my aerobic threshold on this day ever. It's funny, but Saturday is skill, skill work day. Yeah. I like it. So anyway, that's, that's the meat and potatoes of my plan aerobically. Every day in between is filled with whatever my best version of aerobic work is. If I'm capable of running, I run. I run as long as I can run until I no longer can accomplish the mission of the day. It's if it's recovery, I run until the point where I feel if I go any longer, I'm not recovering anymore. And on an easy day, I run until my body says, this is going to stop being easy in a little bit. And I stop. So it's very much by feel right now I'm hitting 35 to 40 miles Great. with a lot of vert. Then here's where the speed component comes in, Kirk. On every single easy run, I'm doing eight to 10 strides. Great. Now, what does that look like specifically? So I have two different ones I do. One is done on the ski hill or on the slope, on the side slope, where I'm just running about a 20 second acceleration up it and walking down slowly. I like it. I barely am working long enough to go truly like pr produce any lactate or anything like that. And I'm walking down. It probably takes me a minute to walk back down. Six to 10 of those, eight to 10 of those. And the other day, it's just strides in front of my house. 15 to 20 second accelerations, slow walk back. Those are on my recovery days and I'm only doing four to six of those. But that means four times per week, I'm running faster than mile pace. Yeah. So that's true mechanical work on running. And the, the whole goal is to run with perfect form. My version of perfect form, run 
the way I'd want to run if I could just choose my form and keep it indefinitely. That's the way I run it. Basically, you're working on biomechanical efficiency and neuromuscular adaptation without any true accumulation of damage or fatigue. So you're working those pathways, the pathways in which you believe need to be worked without accruing any damage or really any increase in fitness, just opening and sharpening the pathways. Yeah. I like it. And I'm, and I'm focusing on foot strike. I'm using super shoes on my strides on the concrete hmm. because they allow me to run my best version of my potential stride. And then on the hill strides, I wear the most minimal shoe I can possibly wear and force my body to try to recreate that without any help mechanically. I don't see many, um, many missing components just to the overlay of your, your base fil- building week. I, I think it's really important for people to hear um, because we, we have honed in on and we have glorified like time on feet and staying aerobic and maybe a couple of days a week, if you're feeling good, you can let it rip a little bit, but nothing is really scripted yet. This may be as scripted as any block you've done recently and Mm -hmm. puzzle pieces have been moved methodically as much or more than when you're in intense training it's just shifted the percentage of time in which you're spending in zones and the way you're approaching the week is very different but it doesn't mean it's not scripted and it doesn't mean you're going out every day whimsically just putting on the shoes and seeing how i feel you're very calculated here and i think that's actually really important for people to hear when it comes to this phase still calculated it's not willy-nilly It's calculated and it's open to interpretation where my easy and recovery days aren't scripted duration. They are run until I, my body's telling me that I'm not going to accomplish my goal in a little while. And my location is totally up to me. I choose my location based on how my body feels that day. I'm at all beat up. I go to my soft flat trail. And if I'm feeling good, I go to a technical steeper trail, but I totally decide what I'm going to do based off my body. And sometimes I'm just on the treadmill. And if I can't run, I'm hiking on the treadmill. And if I can't hike because my hip flexors, which have been barking at me a lot because I've been doing 90 minute and two hour hill hill days, Mm -hmm. then I'm on the assault bike until I loosen up. And then I try jogging or hiking afterwards. So the, the, the actual execution of the easy days is very fluid and random, but they fall within a scripted parameters. I like it. Set of parameters. Yeah, I like it. And that all comes back to your initial point, which is, really taking a hard look in the mirror and listing out your strengths and weaknesses. And if you feel like you're one of those that says, well, I'm not really that good at everything, or I'm okay at everything, that's not good enough right now. We need to put things under a microscope. And maybe you do need to work on everything. We all probably need to work on everything. It's just a matter of time we devote to each segment of that everything. And so starts with your first recommendation. And I have a first recommendation too that I want to add in here. But I just want to hone in more on that point if you have anything left. I do. I actually have three components to this that I think are worth explaining for why I chose what I'm choosing. Yep. The first is that my Tuesday slash Wednesday 90-minute session would probably be 70 minutes if this were a normal off-season for me so that I could run a little longer on every other day. Because a 90-minute session means I have to recover the next day and not go super long the day before. So if I lowered that down to 70, I could probably hit more total volume for the week spread out. But I have the Tennessee Mile, which is a six-hour hill race the first weekend of December. 
And so prioritizing my flow of my week to be able to handle more time on feet on hills is important to me. So I'm shifting my week slightly, which I wouldn't apply to a normal off-season build, but this one has a bit of structure to it for that race. Does that make sense? Makes perfect sense. Okay. The second thing is that I came into this with more strength and athletic fitness than I did running fitness. So I actually paused my weight training. I went back to doing the easy strength program by Dan John. Mm-hmm. If anyone wants to look that up, I think it's a great maintenance program to throw in there from time to time. Stopped all power work because I knew the added running pounding was going to take a toll on my system. Yeah. And I don't want to walk the injury line. I wanted to put all my energy into recovering from that. And I didn't want to be going to the well on my strength training as well. So normally I would start people with a strength block with low run volume and then raise the run volume as they grow to handle those two simultaneously. But I already had enough strength as a runner. I needed to become a runner again. So I tailed off that. And today was my first true heavy lift. And now I'm what, five weeks in? So I took four and a half, five weeks to get used to running before I re-added my strength in. So I'm doing it opposite of what I would normally do, but because of analyzing what my current strengths and weaknesses truly are. Yeah, that makes sense. And then the final thing I'm missing, if you would take a look at my schedule, is sports-specific skill work. And so this week begins my grease the groove training that I'm inserting into the, the plan, which is every hour I head downstairs and I do grip work. Okay. Slight, slight grip work, just easing back into everything. Because again, a lot of this stimulus is new to me because like you said, I haven't had a scripted training plan, this well-rounded and intensive in a long time. And the last time I tried something like this leading into Jacksonville, I skipped little steps and I ended up injured because of it. Mm-hmm. And so I'm refusing to do that. So now you have the full picture of what I'm doing and why I took five weeks to add back in strength work and skill strength work. And also lunges are coming back in this week. Well, the reason this actually leads me into what I think should be number one, along with what we just talked about, is the reason that you are in this position is due to injury. And one, not being able to train like you wanted pre-surgery. And then two, not being able to train like you wanted post-surgery. So now you're back to building the foundational blocks. Um, But the theme there was injury and um, damn it. If you've been training hard and you've been racing hard, heck, even if you haven't, sometimes the bodies just break down. Like number one, if you have any niggles or nagles or injuries, like for me, you're worthless. If you're compromised due to injury, or you're at least worthless in relation to your top end potential. So in base training or phase, it means like number one, I like that you can make your pros and cons list. And equal with number one, in my opinion, is addressing um, compromise to your health. So addressing injuries, which means that might mean more than seven to 10 days off. That might mean finally, you know what, instead of training, I'm going to take a day to go see physio to get this taken care of or set up those doctor appointments to get a diagnosis. Or maybe it takes me one to two months to kick this tendonitis in my Achilles that has been plaguing me all year. It means like now is the time to suck it up and address whatever is causing problems. Because if you go into base phase, not addressing your injuries or your niggles or nagles or the things that you've been nursing all season, guess what's going to happen again next year? The exact same shit, but worse. 
Mm-hmm. And so this is the time to suck it up, bite the bullet, swallow your pride and ego, put your wants and desires and dreams aside of performance because performance is going to be nothing if you don't address something that's going wrong. IT band issues seem to be a big thing. Hip flexors, um, knees, ankles, all that stuff. Now is sort of the time. And sometimes 10 days just isn't enough. So I like to put those on the same playing field as you're, you're, you're going to be a, a, a sad version of yourself if you're constantly monitoring something that you never took the time up front to take care of. So um, I think that just needs to go right hand in hand with this uh, strengths and weaknesses checkboxes that you talk about. Yeah. And, and just like my runs are open-ended when they end, because I don't truly know what my body can handle right now, that off-season healing process is open-ended when it ends. You don't say I'm taking two weeks to heal this hip and then I'm back to it. Right. I'm taking time to heal my hip and I'm back to it whenever it is. Because otherwise it's basically taking out a loan to pay down your credit card debt. You accrue more debt. The credit card debt's going to look better, but you're just trading one for another. And eventually you're digging a deeper hole because they all come with interest. And those generally have compounding interest. And that's how injuries are. If you rush it back, now you are a little healthier. You're in worse shape, but you're not fully healthy. So the injury is going to come back, but you have less fitness to deal with the same level of injury that you had before with better fitness. But you didn't really pay either one off. You either got to pay off the injury or pay off the fitness if it's a manageable injury, which we would say at this point of the year, there's no such thing as a manageable injury. Now is your time to dedicate, even if it takes three months and you're not ready for the first race of the year, you don't give away your whole season for the first couple races. You ensure that I can finish the season strong. Yeah, exactly. Um, And this doesn't exclude you who have had a long season and your body actually feels pretty good. I I can't imagine there's a ton of you out there, but that also then doesn't like mean that you can take less recovery uh, or rest or reset. So don't think you're off the hook if for some reason you're one of the lucky ones who feel perfect. Um, it doesn't exclude you as far as the recovery goes, but I just think we're such a compulsively natured sport. Um, something of routine habit. It's part of our mental health and, and our, and our day-to-day life so much that I understand the desire just to get back to make a quick band-aid fix job on your day. Yeah. But Try to be objective about it and make sure that you're addressing those things. I get it. Trust me. I totally get it. But I just wanted to lead with that point as well, because I got to imagine there's a few people as minor as the injury is, or as minor as the pain is, you kind of want to make sure that sucker's completely gone before you really resume any sort of purposeful training. And now's the time. Think of where you'd be if you don't now. Is you're going to be sitting here in a few months still dealing with it, very frustrated, not training like you want because you're having to put the governor on your training due to some niggle or nagel. And then you're going to go into that first race unhappy with your fitness to start with. Why not give yourself a real shot at a breakthrough? And that starts with uh, getting healthy. There's two athletes I work with, Kirk, who've went through this. The first came to me a year ago. We just separated our, celebrated our, our one-year anniversary. His name's Kent. And he had Achilles issues calf, Achilles, heel, and just couldn't put a block of training together. You go on a year and a half without being able to. And we started with baby steps, Kirk. Mm -hmm. And to his credit, he bought in. He just said, whatever it is, I don't care how mundane and boring and impossible this task seems, I'm going to do it. And he is PRing everything right now. 
everything. We just did a two by 5k tempo workout with him as he preps for a half marathon and he hit his, uh, his Strava segment, his best mile and 800 on this trail where he used to do his 5k work. He hit that segment during a two by 5k tempo workout. Fantastic. It's like his fitness is just up there and we've had something like 23 weeks uninterrupted, but his first 16 weeks of the year sucked. He couldn't do races. He didn't have any fitness. He was slow and he just gave that time up and he wouldn't trade it for the world right now. But in the moment that early on pay now or pay later is so difficult to pay now, but he would tell you it was totally worth it. Yep. I love that story. Now on the other side of the coin, Les Cowan is a guy I work with. He's one of the, what do they call themselves? The Spartan MBAs. (laughs) <laughs> that, that master's group, Spartan racers. He's a stud, yeah. lives in Colorado. Last year, he lost the end of his season because of uh, Achilles foot, I think quadricep tendinopathy, a whole bunch of stuff going on with his leg. And he kept trying to work through it, kept trying to work through it, kept trying to work through it. And eventually this season in the middle of the season just said, I'm scrapping the rest of my season. This is nonsense. And so he had the exact opposite thing happen. He He didn't fully pay now. He took time and then got back to it and took time and tried a mountain run and took time and it just, it never fully did it. And then he committed mid season and he just took second, I believe in age group in big bear. I didn't see, but sure. raced both days has had podiums recently at national series events. And it's only because he gave up the middle of his season now. So he had both ends of the spectrum. He lost part of his season, gave up the middle. And now he's again, having a good finish to his year because he finally just said enough's enough. So you can learn from both those guys and just do enough's enough right now in this moment, because it's always worth it long-term. Yeah. I agree with that. That's why I brought it up, Bracken. So what if you're not injured, Kirk, but you've got a little something like you get to the end of the year and every quality session I do or long run or race afterwards, that hamstring insertion point right below my right glute is just killing me. And I've got some SI stuff going on, but I get all my work in. I'm racing fine, but it's just starting to bug me more and more every big workout. What about those kind of people? Because those are, that's the majority of people. You've got something that just, you know, it's there. It's not an injury yet, but it's there. Yeah, I would say more likely than not, if you're training hard and you're training consistently, I would say most of the people fall in that boat. That's the niggle and niggle category, really. Um, well, it still doesn't it doesn't exempt you from the fact of taking your reset. Granted, now's a good time. Um, it also doesn't necessarily mean that you can't go back into training. Typically, those types of things, like after a week and a half or two weeks off, you're probably not going to notice it at all in life. You're probably going to be moving around. But those are one of the things that's got to be like prehab or active um, active on early, which means let's say you're taking your 10 days or whatever off. Um, you're kind of going to work on that stuff right away. You're the perfect example of someone who gets into your chiropractor every week, who goes and sees your sports med or your physio guy or girl every week. Uh, and you just get ahead of it. That, that little bit of time off to get ahead of it. And then you're very conservative with uh, one intensity in your first like month back of your base training uh, and two volume. There's no rush. Your fitness is good. You already know that. And that's going to be uh, caressed even by lower volume necessarily as you build. So um, it's like almost like if you were training seven hours a week, maybe you jump back into four and you take three of those hours that you used to train and put into strengthening, uh, recovery, 
rehab and getting ahead of that. So it's the time to sort of like flip things and over almost prioritize the niggle or the nagel um, with the prehab type stuff. And you can work into volume later. I promise you your fitness is going to be great because this isn't like a long-term injury in which has taken you out for months to recover from. You've still been training. So I would say like shifting a focus and devotion of time uh, would be my answer there. But not meaning you can't run, just meaning like a, a flipping of yeah priority. That's what I would do. Yeah, that's the prehab camp. And I think we're going to talk about strength training soon. But this is the camp that, in my opinion, it might be best served by a kind of an isolation style of strength, strength training first. Like, yeah, you're healthy and strong enough to go right into heavy deadlift and squat, but you might be best served by doing almost the reverse of that and going into single leg work first and really isolating the area that's letting you down. Mm -hmm. Cause there's some area in there letting you down and just building that up while you're building your volume up. And then once you've qualified to now, I know both legs can put out the same amount of work in a healthy manner now we might hit our power block. Does that kind of track? Yeah, it tracks. It totally tracks. It's just like so specific on what your minor injury is yeah. depending on the course of action. But I always think that strengthening is a good choice no matter the camp you fall into uh, because it only can help. It's just It's just dialing in on what specifics in that strength work need to be focused on. So I agree with you. Shall we move into how a runner should approach their off-season strength board work and strength build? Yep. Well, there's three runners, right? There are those that we generally think about, which are underpowered, underdeveloped, and are spending a lot of their time running. There's the opposite end of the spectrum, which we talked about, you talked about specifically in a really good segment at the end of the weight loss episode, which is, I'm fit. I have way too much muscle. Way I have an abundance of strength and I just like to be faster. And then you have the person in the middle, pretty functionally strength, strong, pretty good power. But those three kind of need different approaches to their off season. Yep. You want to lead the way on that one? No way. You're the strength guru here. <laughs> I don't know about guru. Um, well, let's, let's talk about this. Let's talk about our, the sport of OCR is an anomaly. If you start looking at road running or trail running or things like that, you're going to find most people in the camp uh, one or three, which would be you typically maybe are a little under strengthed or underdeveloped or you're appropriately balanced. I would say the majority of people probably fall into that camp. Like they, they wouldn't be upset if they had more strength and they could see how that would benefit them. I, I would agree. The reason I say the sport of OCR is an anomaly is we do tend to have some pretty beefy guys and girls out there hitting the course that are plenty or too strong for truly running fast, which is what OCR requires. It's still a runner mm -hmm. sport. It always will be. doesn't matter what you say. You can fight me on it. It's a runner sport. So um, first camp would be the underdeveloped or the let's call adequately developed. Um, it's back to go. To, it's it's going back to foundation. And I know we've touched on this a number of times in past episodes, but it's good to rehear. Um, and you're going to see if you're on the running public strength plan, I just got to do my part here um, as we're unveiling sort of our base phase. But you'll see this reflected in the running public strength plan, which is five bucks a month. It's basically free. It's a latte at Starbucks. You can you can afford that. I had my first Starbucks drink yesterday, Kirk. Pumpkin spice latte. I never buy because I'm not a coffee drinker. I never buy caffeinated or coffee based anything. And, and I went with Lisa yesterday and I ordered something. Well, you got to tell me what it was. 
You know, I, I can't even accurately say what it was. I remember she said to order venti. Okay. I don't know what venti means because <laughs> Star- Starbucks has this like hieroglyphic language that they try to trick you into ordering something or sounding bougie. I'm not, I don't have it figured out, but it was a macchiato, which I don't know what that means. And there was apple involved. Hmm. Tis the season. And that's all I know. How did, how did it feel? How did you feel afterwards? It was still a little coffee-ish for me because I don't have a taste for coffee, but it was acceptable. You know how disappointing that is? I, I think the reason that I liked whiskey so much is because it tasted bad. I love anything that provokes like a strong palate response and a dark black bitter coffee that tastes like crushed up Tylenol just hits just right. Really? And the same thing is what whiskey does. It makes you be like, ah, that tasted so bad. It was good. I think, Hmm. I think you need to, you need a little more of that in your life. I think these are all learned tastes. You think? I think everything's a learned taste. That's not initially palatable. But anyways, I, I, I got I got my Starbucks first time out of the way. Not a tangent at all. No, no, I think it fits perfectly in the flow. Of, <laughs> I'm, I'm changing my off-season approach here, Kirk. You sure I are. I was very affected by the caffeine. Okay, good. It hit differently than like an energy drink or, or a, a pre-workout. You get a little shakier off of it. Yeah, it felt more potent. Yeah. Plus there was sugar in there and I don't do a ton of sugar in my life, so... I don't know. It was a, uh, it was distracting from your point to say the least. Well, I shouldn't use Starbucks latte as a reference. That's my bad. Five dollars a month for our super cheap <laughs> strength training plan that you would charge people a lot of money for in person. And and I would argue that that venti probably costs more than five bucks with tax. You probably like five forty or something. So, um, anyways, back to it since we're on a limited time window today. Um, going back to foundational movements, um, you know, we like to get race specific or at least. Um, single, uh, I guess like single leg, single arm. Yes, Bracken. Oh, nothing. I was farting. <laughs> Is that what it was? You yeah. looked really a- anxious to say something or do something. That makes sense now. I was anxious not to like let it get away from me. Okay. Well, now everybody knows if this stays in. So foundational movements means you don't need to necessarily work on single leg stuff nearly as much or single arm or multi-plane of movement. Let's just go back to the foundation. The foundation of running is what? Running right? It means like one foot in front of the other on a consistent basis. Um, and the foundation of strength movement is uh, the more neurological and muscular stimulus you can put on, which means the heavier the load, the more strength adaptation you receive. So with a single leg movement, you basically are cutting your body's ability to move weight in half, which is half the stimulus on the overall load of the nervous system, which is great when it comes down to getting specific. When it comes down to generality and base building in your strength, you want to put as much weight on the body as possible to get the, the nervous system, the hormonal benefits, um, and then the overall strength and power benefits as well. So think like what movements will allow my body to move the most weight? Is a bicep curl going to move a ton of weight? Is that going to be a good nervous system and hormonal producing stimulant? Nope. But is loading up a back squat heavy with a barbell going to be an overall load nervous and hormonal system stimulant? Yes. Is a heavy deadlift going to be that? Yes. Is something as simple as a heavy overhead military press? It's a shoulder press, folks. Well, is it that functional for what we do? Maybe, but you have to look at all the ancillary benefits. And that, again, is nervous system and hormones. And then not to mention the strength benefits overall of your raw power. So you think, what movements can I move the most weight with? And then you focus on those. 
And those can be weighted pull-ups. Those can be weighted dips. Those can be bench press, squat, deadlifts. They can be any other. You can get in the gym and do a heavy leg press if that gets you off. You can do anything that you want with that stuff, but think, what movements can I move the most weight with? And that's going to move the physiological, structural, strength, nervous system, and hormonal benefits. And that's what we're trying to do right now. So think load. That's for those people, all of you. Yeah. And I can hear, I can hear some, some runners, the, the quote unquote pure runners kind of recoiling against this. And we've talked about this before, but it's a good refresher course that look at old runners and look at their posture and look at their bodies mm-hmm. and understand that running is degenerative. It's totally degenerative. Strength work prevents that. Running not only breaks you down and makes your posture and your core weaker, it also lowers your natural hormonal releases that you have in your body Mm -hmm. and your levels will drop. And strength training does the exact opposite. So this is like directly balancing the equation. You go into the off season, you're going to try to build volume. As a man or a woman, your hormones will suffer from pure endurance work. Strength training is the the natural way of chemically doping your body to get everything back into the correct kind of like homeostasis level. And if you do it right, you can even raise that level up a bit to an even healthier standpoint. And then the second is it corrects long-term postural problems that running, cycling, skiing, definitely give people. All you have to do is look at aging athletes and see what did they do in their life to combat it or not to combat it. Well, and you look at, let's say you did all this and you got no stronger at all. Yeah. The hormonal benefits of it are going to help you recover faster and perform better. At first, there's going to be a bit of a sacrifice with doms and the legs and things, but that's only short lived. And so even if it's not for the raw strength piece, the hormonal and nervous system stimulation is going to be worth it in itself. If you test any um, endurance athletes who leave strength out of their equation, I know speaking from the male side, their testosterone levels are typically on the low side of normal or sometimes even under. Mm -hmm. And then you take a balanced athlete or take like a sprinter who's in the weight room still three times a week and their testosterone is through the roof and off the charts. It has nothing to do with physiological predetermination. It has everything to do with their style of training and increasing testosterone, increasing estrogen, increasing even for women, increasing the testosterone, that hormonal production is huge for recovery. And that's why it should be in year round, in my opinion. But even if the strength was out, out of the equation, the increase in strength, which is going to translate to performance, it still goes to show like how important it is. And right now is a great time to focus on that because you don't need to be crushing high-end speed work. You don't need to be crushing big mountain days where your uh, metrics matter as much. And so now is the time to reset metabolically and strength training is going to lead the way more than your run training, more than your supplementation, more than anything. And I'm a firm believer in that. Yeah. And it's important to know you're going to have that two week period of soreness and a reduced capacity to run, but you get over it really quickly. And eventually you'll get to the point where lifting helps you recover from running. And then you get to the point where running races and workouts does not affect your body as negatively because you've built up resistance through your just skeletal muscular system. It's just stronger at resisting impact. Yep. And then I know so many things we could talk about, but 
Um, to talk about the flip side of the coin, if you're the guy or girl who's really too strong, and let's be honest, some of you are out there convincing yourself that you're not too strong. I'm that's my strength. I'm going to be extra strong and not fill obstacles and flip that tire five seconds faster than anybody else. But you're not going to make up that much time there. I hate to break it to you. You're going to make up time on your feet. That's how this sport works. Whether you're a trail, road, or OCR athlete, time on your feet wins. So what do you do? Maybe you have been lifting three days a week. Maybe at this point, you back it down to one and you hit everything that's important to you in that one. And you replace that other time with either time on feet or non-impact cardio so you can move your aerobic and your threshold needle the correct direction. Or you're the type who can still do your three strength sessions a week, but let's make it functional like Bracken is doing and turn those into compromise strength sessions where you get on the assault bike and you bike for three minutes. Then you hop off and do three minutes of a strength wad, all applicable to OCR or your current sport. Hop back on the assault bike for three minutes. Hop back off for three minutes of circuit strength work and keep it higher tempo, lower weight, functional movements. Those are the two options I like to give those people. Reduce to one day a week or two and replace that time with relevant time on feet to move the needle. Or simply keep your strength sessions but introduce a cardio component to them and keep it circuit style, functional, compromised work. That's what I like those people to do. And and we did an interview with Hunter while you were out. And I don't know if you listened to the entire thing, but I asked him towards the end, give me your metrics. What should someone in our sport be able to lift to be acceptably considered strong enough? Now, this doesn't apply to the obscure versions of our sport like High Rocks or the Spartan Games or something like that. But for a regular runner, a trail runner, ultra runner, even OCR athlete, the numbers he gave were surprisingly low. They weren't low as in this person's not strong. They're low as in you don't need to be able to do much more than this to get pretty much everything you need to get out of the, the race course. Anything above that is a surplus. So basically go to that, listen to his interview again, because he's always a great listen, and then hear those numbers and say, am I just significantly above this? Being above it mm-hmm. is fine because I'm above it on, I'd say, two of the three lifts. He highlighted I have a weakness in one of my lifts I should raise up. But if you're significantly above it, you know you're the person who has an abundance of strength because he is the biggest strength component endurance athlete, like, or it's not component, proponent of being super strong for endurance athletes that you'll ever find. And mm-hmm. he even has a shockingly low standard for this is strong enough. Yeah. I have my opinions on that. I think as a male, like if you can single rep deadlift, like 305 one time, you're even, even 285, you're plenty strong for women. 175, 185, single rep max, you're probably meeting minimum requirements to complete anything with efficiency. For women, maybe a 20-pound dumbbell around your waist for one to three reps on pull-ups. For men, 50 pounds around your waist, one to three rep pull-ups. If you can do that, you're in the realm. For squat, if a man can single, singly squat 225 for one rep, you're more than where you need to be. And for females, 155 to 185, like yeah, 155 probably. Like that's what I believe it takes. I mean, those numbers are big, but they're not that big if you start looking into the strength world. And I have no idea what numbers Hunter gave um, because I didn't listen, but that's just my opinion. I don't think they're that big of numbers to shoot for, for one to three rep maxes. No, the the, the most difficult ones you put in there were your pull-up numbers. Yeah. For the traditional athlete, especially the traditional runner, maybe the deadlift for a, for a male traditional endurance runner, but they're all numbers you can hit 
without lifting four or five times a week. It would take you some months to get there. But anyways, if you're way above that, you don't need more. So I guess to like kind of summarize what we're saying here is look through your logs and pick out your deficiencies. Now is the time to work on it and then prioritize where you put your recovery into while building this volume. Is it into the power work? Is it into the running? Is it into the skill work? And then you basically reverse engineer your season. If I need to be able to lift, let's say I want to be able to deadlift 300 pounds by July, scale it back and start working now. If I need to be able to run a 420 mile by July, all right, now I start with strides and mechanical speed work. If I need to be able to run an ultra by July, all right, I scale back and now I'm doing a heavy amount of base hill work. You build out your off season based around what you need to be better at, not necessarily around what worked for you last year. We don't throw out what worked, but we add in the new components that are needed to be version 2.0 of yourself moving forward. And do not be afraid to train through something on the way there, Mm -hmm. to give away a race or two early to have another 10 months of racing afterwards. Don't be on anyone else's timeline, but your bodies. Yeah. And I know we're probably, it feels like we're oversimplifying this. We've given you three big tangibles and maybe some subcategories in those, but I'd say base training is simple. It is supposed to be simple. Yes. We could overcomplicate this and start webbing off of this spider web, but like those are really the things that you need to begin with and think about. And if you are confused about this, like I would argue if you haven't entertained the running public training plan, even if you're a non-OCR athlete right now, would be the best time to jump in. If you're a trail runner or a road runner, if you just don't really know the direction, it's a little muddy for you. Like hop on the plan for 20 bucks a month and try it out. You can cancel it anytime. It's very simple. And then you'll you'll start to understand the flow of how you should be approaching a base phase or an off season. That's going to cover everything we talked about, other than the injury nursing, which you should know on your own as an athlete. So um, I would encourage you to do it. I know a lot of you might be thinking, oh, I'm going to hop off the plan now that I don't have races for a few months. I would argue that maybe this is the worst time to hop off or it's it's the last thing that you should be thinking of doing like like take care of, of the most important part of your season, which is actually next season, which is actually now. And if you don't want to think about it, then you can have a guide to follow. And I just think it makes a lot of sense right now more than ever. So just a little plug there since we don't plug this thing nearly often enough. No, we don't, but you're right. This is the next like most important time outside of sharpening for a race, man, I would even say this one is, this is the most important time. So right now, just to give you a scope of it, since we are talking about it, we are on a down week. Every day is deload recovery. Next Monday, in what, four days from now, five days, six days from now, I don't know when this comes out. Tuesday? Yeah. Six days from when you guys hear this, most likely, guys and gals. Is it training Tuesday or is it training Wednesday? I forget. It's very hard to remember, Brad. <laughs> oh, you're a funny man. Yeah. Six days from when you hear this, most likely, five or six days, we start our off-season build. And we are going to contain all these components that we spoke about here. And when we started this up, it was starting in spring. It was leading in. We only had about six weeks or seven weeks until the first OCR rate, big race of the season last year. So we didn't do this. We did a steady progressive build and then we followed the races. This is the first time we'll be able to hit a true off-season progression. And I'm kind of excited to program it. Me too. I mean, you can't build a tall, sweet building without a sweet foundation laid first. I tell building being your peak fitness. So you got to lay that proper foundation. So now is the kind of the time uh, and the plan will help you with that. So Bracken, I know um, typically I'm the one who has to run, but you got an important meeting right now that you need to attend to. 
I've got a meeting. Well, anything else you want to add? Otherwise, I'm I'm happy with the uh, snippets we we threw out there today. I'm happy with it. This will whet the appetite. And this is the time of year people are looking to to make changes for next year. Yep. You know, they're looking for coaches. They're looking for training plans. There's a lot out there. Go back and give our bad coaching episode a listen. Now is probably the most applicable time to listen to that. It contains everything we feel about the coaching search, how to choose a coach, what questions to ask, what priorities to place in there. Mm-hmm. And and that's that's kind of your protection heading into the coaching search because there's a lot of bad coaches out there. And there's a lot of unintentionally bad coaches out there, people that are just not meeting the needs of their athletes. So do yourself a a favor. If you're looking for a coach, listen to that episode. It's not a self-serving episode. No, it's an episode that might disqualify me from coaching you. And that's okay. You have to look through it and then decide how do I approach my search for hiring a coach? Because that's what it is. They're not hiring you. You are hiring them. So listen to that episode and then go find your coach. Yeah. You know, it's what you do in the dark that is seen as the light in the light, as they say. And right now you're in the dark. You're not going to be getting pat on the back. Nobody's going to be caring about what you're doing. You're not going to be getting as many kudos on Strava. You're not going to get a chance to post your race victories on Instagram. Now you're in the dark. And what you do right now is what's going to be helpful to be seen in the light later on. Now's the time you go monk mode, as I call it. Mm -hmm. You focus on you. You do what you need to do right now without needing any outside reinforcement. You just show up for yourself every day, do the right things now that get absolutely no credit in the moment, but your time to step into the light will be 2022. And right now is kind of the beginning of all that. So go monk mode, do these things, freaking come out just a Sherpa, you know, let's do it. I am not exaggerating when I say this is my favorite time of the year. A storm is brewing for the first big race of the year. And you're either going to show up and that storm's going to destroy you or you're going to be that storm when you hit the course. But it starts now. You want to hit that course with momentum and you need to build it now. Enough said. Ooh, ooh, I'm ready to go train again, Kirk. Me too. I'll see you tomorrow.